Health is everything. La salud lo es todo. Health is everything. Health is everything. La santé est tout. Health is everything. Hi, I'm Dr. Charles Raison. I'm a psychiatrist and a research scientist, and you're listening to Health is Everything, a podcast from the Emory Center for the Study of Human Health. Well, welcome back to the second part of my conversation with Dr. Bodie Dunlop and Dr. George Grant, who are the co-founders of the recently formed Emory Center for Psychedelics and Spirituality which is a highly innovative and collaborative effort between the university's Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences and the Department of Spiritual Health in the Woodruff Health Sciences Center. In part one of this podcast, we heard about how the Center for Psychedelics and Spirituality was formed, and we got an overview of the center's mission and vision. In this episode, the discussion continues and takes a deeper dive into the role of spirituality in human health in general and in psychedelic-assisted therapy more specifically. We get into a really lively discussion around a range of related topics, including spirituality as an evolved human capacity, strategies for enhancing the benefits and minimizing the risks of bringing spirituality more directly into healthcare, and finally, the need to explore the role of spirituality in psychedelic-assisted therapy with novel scientific approaches. The podcast concludes with a provocative discussion of whether neurobiological understandings are really required to understand how to optimize the role of spirituality in psychedelic-assisted therapy, or whether, in fact, spirituality can be taken at face value as a phenomenon worthy of scientific study on its own terms. This is a fascinating discussion, so let's start. Health is everything. Bodhi, you and I both trained as psychiatrists, and and it was not part of either one of our training, I dare say, you know, to deal with spiritual emergencies or to deal with the fallout. Spirituality uh, can be a very powerful, you know, force for good in the world, but it's not exactly front page news that it can produce some real problems also, right? And that... And, you know, very often when people get overexcited, you know, there's, you know, people go off in these sort of sort of dangerous, bad, you know, directions. I mean, every cult essentially, you know, sort of follows that path. So one of the things, George, you and I have talked about that I think is really interesting is that, you know, spiritual health clinicians are trained, uh, professionally trained to sort of deal with these issues and to to have a steady hand and a tolerant but but sort of wide ranging perspective on spirituality and the interface of spirituality and health. You know, yeah, yeah. And, and, you know it it goes almost without saying that um, holding one's tongue is an important part of the work <laughs> because um, in any kind of healthcare delivery, you know, offering advice and suggestions and you know uh, orders and and so forth. It, it becomes kind of a uh, one-way top-down street uh, as opposed to a relationship that from, you know, even before the spiritual clinician walks in the room, uh, there is a kind of preparation of that person. So the, the preparation of the provider in being able to set aside those, you know, concerns of performance and so on and so forth, and really meet a person with where they are in that that moment and allow them some free uh, expression 
really creates a kind of bond uh, whereby we then can uh, encourage, you know, th those uh, healthy uh, utterances uh, from a care seeker uh, toward, you know, what we're trying to accomplish, which is, um, you know, we uh, have resources from within that oftentimes we, we don't characterize as being important. And uh, to be in a situation where the, the care responder, the clinician can keep a lid on it without, you know, jumping in and, and changing something, the change comes from the care seeker and their experience. And, and this is what it's uh, like, we think, in psychedelic medicine as well. You know, we, we're a reference source for what's already been discussed and expressed in the preparation uh, sessions. And to be able to, you know, add some interpretation along the way, but uh, allow the person to do that work for him or herself or themselves. And uh, this is a, an important distinction in terms of, you know, operating out of, you know, the uh, traditional allopathic uh, method. Yeah, and it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think this is another place where psychedelic practices intersect, uh, you know, with the way that spiritual health folks are trained to to be a container, to 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 not be completely just wishy washy, right? There's a strategy, but not to be overly prescriptive, where you're telling the person what the values are, what the you know, and certainly in the spiritual world, you know, the 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 the, the good spiritual health clinician meets the, the the patient where they are in their spirituality. They they're not preaching at them. They're not you know. Right. Um, and it's interesting that I think in psychedelics, perhaps because they activate spiritual experiences, there's also a a, a tradition, I think, that is uh, uh, that fits well with that of of, of letting letting the sort of material, uh, you know, uh, evolve out of the patient's psychedelic experience rather than trying to, um, you know, to, to, rather than trying to to direct it or overly direct it or, you know, overly interpret it too quickly. Um, That's right. So I think that's an interesting. There's an interesting connection there also that the the work that 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 center's been doing on spirituality uh, is directly relevant. Well, that's why it made so much sense to me uh, that spiritual health needed to be involved because we uh, are training ourselves to be multicultural, expansive, embracing a person, you know, in his or her own worldview. And, uh, you know, that that's what we want in healthcare uh, across the board. So spiritual health in and of itself is becoming multidisciplined. I mean, we have folks like yourself, your director of <laughs> the research team in spiritual health. Uh, so th this is something that uh, I think characterizes the future of healthcare, which is um, are, are we going to uh, continue just to offer robotic medicine or will we have, you know, this relationality piece that that really is important in terms of binding one uh, to him themselves, <laughs> uh, but also being feeling a sense of tetheredness uh, to, you know, a, a, a fellow human being and not just you know, a person that's, you know, uh, 
blank, a, a blank uh, person. <laughs> and uh, so we become very excited about that in terms of how that can be offered in psychedelic medicine. Absolutely. Bodhi, uh, projects you're especially excited about, would like to see happen, uh, vision for that within the center? Well, um, you know, our, our primary focus right now, and what we really need to put the most effort in and we have most people engaged in, is how to best structure the psychotherapy that we're doing. What are the key elements that the psychologist and the spiritual health clinician bring? What what seems to mediate, what is helpful for the person's ability to integrate their experience? Um, do, do the patients feel like the spiritual angle or the psychologist angle differ? Are they differentially valuable? In whom are they differentially valuable? Does it depend on the experience they have? I think for me, that's the single biggest thing because this really is a brand new frontier. How do we have these two classical perspectives of mental health, the psychological and the spiritual? How do we meld them in ways that are responsive to a patient and all they bring to the experience beforehand and then the experience that they actually have? So for me, I mean, that's really, to me, the most interesting, important thing that we do is identify using evidence wherever possible what should be part of this co-therapist model that we're building. That, to me, is a single yeah. thing. And you know what's interesting and just in this uh uh, work with a patient recently, uh, my co-therapist was in as much uh, in the vein of, of spiritual health clinician as I was, uh, because uh, I think she in her own practice of psychotherapy um, was, uh, she had begun to integrate some of these values already. So there are natural inclinations, I think, to build on. Uh, the preparation um, and, and training of drawing out these natural inclinations is what we want to be about, uh, both in um, you know, future training of spiritual health fellows in this work, as well as uh, you know, psychiatry residents uh, wanting to specialize in this work and, and train in our particular psycho-spiritual model. The, these are important factors um, that we think uh, if we supply, you know, a, uh, the, the uh, peculiar kind of evidence uh, that spiritual health is a major component and not just, uh, you know, uh, we checked it off and, uh, you know, oh, yeah, we heard about that. But it really, we're more interested in the the synapse <laughs> than we are uh, the relationship. Yeah, the synapse, right? That's where it all happens, supposedly. <laughs> supposedly. You know, I mean, Chuck, that's where we're coming from, right? How many hundreds of millions of dollars have been spent trying to understand synaptic change, network change within the brain, and mapping out those effects? And do we need to do that for psychedelic assisted therapy? Are we really going to be able to capture especially the spiritual elements by studying the material brain in all the myriad ways that we can do it? There are efforts underway to develop psychedelics that agonize a 5-HT2A receptor that don't create uh, the, the kind of mystical experience. Uh, and I wonder why. 
Like, you know, like, do do we really have to understand biologically the mechanism when we're talking about spiritual things that man has never been able to resolve to the material world? It's a really interesting question about (laughs) where should the funding go in understanding how best to utilize the potential therapeutic effects of psychedelics. The, the medical model is going to be like, we're going to break this down. We're going to put mice on this. We're going to see all kinds <laughs> of biological levels that we can evaluate. And I wonder in the end, is it going to get us any closer to understanding who does and doesn't benefit from this treatment? I, I think about ECT a lot, you know. <laughs> uh, you, you're under a quasi anesthetic and then your brain gets jolted. <laughs> uh, but, you know, not much is known about, you know, how that works, as far as I know. <laughs> um, but in a subjective experience with uh, in a medication session, um, there is more that's uh, that, you know, can be externalized and worked with. Well, you know, and and it's so interesting, Bodie, what you're saying because I have, uh, you know, I I listened to Tom Insel, who of course was the former head of National Institute of Mental Health and hugely uh, influential man who had been at Emory at one point. Um, uh, he sat up and gave a lecture. He said, I, "You know, I spent billions of dollars and got nothing." Basically, is what he said. And he said he realized that. I mean, he's written a book about this, so this is not. I'm not telling tales out of school. You know that that all this money they spent on sort of intense neuroscience research produced some pretty good neuroscience results, but it hasn't translated into. So he's taken a much more uh, position that, you know, we need to optimize the systems we have. We need to optimize the psychological elements, you know, and, and there's a guy named Christoph Koch, who is a, a pretty famous neuroscience guy. And I, I, I have reasons for interacting with him and, you know, this is, he's kind of, I've heard him several times lately say, well, why are they doing brain scans? Right. You know, because really it's true. There, there is another level of analysis that can be rigorously looked at, which is the phenomenology, right? That trying to understand, you know, if, if, if what we're looking at here, yeah, what we want to see is essentially, you know, a change in a person's conscious experience of the world in ways that enhance their ability to cope with it and, you know, hopefully produce better behavioral responses. Looking at it that way, you know, under this is where I'm so interested in spirituality, right? That looking at spirituality as a as a thing, uh, without breaking it down into the synapses, the spirituality as a thing itself has causative power. And you know, I, it's so interesting that 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 the center has a sort of commitment to trying to understand rigorously, scientifically, things at that level. Taking spirituality as 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 a uh, you know, this is one of my great beliefs that in fact, you know humans evolved uh, everybody has some some degree of this sort of spiritual longing it's just sort of mm-hmm. built into the way our brains work right and so spirituality is directly relevant to health because of that fact and understanding it on that level i think is it's it's a very very novel approach because you're right i know all the guys that are trying to take the psychedelics out of psychedelics and you know <laughs> you, you 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 develop a pill that that works like super prozac and you can take it a saturday morning at home and no muss no fuss no therapy no change your life you just wake up the next day and you feel great and you don't know why you know i mean that is the vision of the field that we've been in this sort of very reductionistic biomedical uh thing and you know the, it's not that it hasn't helped people it's not that it doesn't do something yeah but it 
there's a lot of room for improvement. Well, you know, we're stepping on toes. I might as well keep going. So, (laughs) you know, the ketamine business of, you know, you you can receive it at home uh, in your own private experience. that that that's a good example of you know the the money being made without the assurances of the psychotherapy and what we really as Bodhi said earlier we're really focused on the psychotherapy that the medicine session is just you know uh i wouldn't say just but it is a, a catalyst uh somewhat and um, we, we really, uh, I think, are going to help change what is good psychotherapy by not uh, poo-pooing <laughs> on, uh, you know, spiritual concerns and uh, search for meaning. You know, I, I, I said something about ECT a little while ago, and, uh, you know, it, it has done a world of good, right, for, for people. And hopefully we will begin to understand this as being a tried and true uh, experience to lift depression and uh, address trauma, as, as well as, you know, when we're, we're probably going to be facing what microdosing means in place of maybe or alongside SSRIs, who knows. Uh, but there's going to be a lot of experimentation with that. and. And we want to stay in the clinical science business of it. Um, we hope to have a, a clinical service down the road where we're going to be able to train uh, spiritual health fellows and also uh, psych uh, fellows. And so th- these are things that um, I think the the world is asking for. You know, we uh, one of the persons that Bodhi was. <laughs> encouraged by was Colin Reef. Uh, he's at NYU Lang- Langone now, and he was uh, a resident and Bodhi was his attending, I believe. And Colin was, you know, really a, a force of wanting to get into psychedelic medicine. And he's doing fine work at NYU right now. But I, th- I think, uh, you know, there are persons like Colin who say the spirituality is not nearly accented enough, you know, not only in the research, but in the, in the practice. However, um, for a very long time, thousands of years, the, the practice uh, of plant medicines were solely based on, you know, a spiritual experience and having that to be a, uh, a, um, a uh, cause uh, and the effect of one becoming uh, an adult, you know, in some cases. So these are all things that that we want to pay attention to and and help others to pay attention as well. I think these last three minutes have actually uh, had a couple of examples of how we can be trapped by our own biomedical model. Chuck, you just said all people have a deep yearning for the spiritual somewhere in their brains. Right. It's going to be in a physical part of your body called the brain. And then Chuck just said the substance, the the medicine is kind of like a catalyst for something, which is a biochemical (laughs) process that makes something that would normally happen anyway just happen faster. And I think we constantly have to be thinking about our language as we talk about these things because it reinforces pre-existing models in our mind of how things work. 
Yeah. And we're trapped. We, we're not trapped. We're drawn to fall back on the biomedical explanation for health. And, you know, I've been studying the brain. I've been given psychopharmacology. I'm classic biomedical doctor for psychiatry. You are. I think <laughs> this is a different thing. I think we're talking about studying and understanding an experience in a totally different way. And the we need to study like cause and effect and association, but yeah. that's not the same as biomedical explanation. Yeah, I, I like when Bodie calls me on the carpet. It, I, I know, man, it's really good. It's, 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 it's we get, exciting we get the to me. <laughs> we got the hardcore psychiatrist here school of um, spirituality. He's, he, he's, the, he's the most radical of the three of us, which is really uh, pretty cool. He really is. He really is. This is, this is why you it know, works yeah, so well. Russian, but it's true. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Uh, Bodie, you know, this is a, yeah, you've said a couple of things that I think are, are very profound since we've been sort of engaging in this. One was uh, early on when you were talking about the potential of these agents really as being preventive and really being things that maybe early in people's life course when they've had adversity and things like this, activating these sort of, of, of experiences that then give them a, a resilience. I'm, I'm trying not to use any brain words here now. Um, <laughs> but this is another good one. Bodhi, I, what what you just said is, I'm going to think about that for a while because that is, uh, you're right. I, I am more, uh, how odd, you know, that I'm probably more sort of biomedically trapped in this space than you are in my thinking. Um, and what you're talking about is, is really, really an interesting thing. We we will when we're done with this, uh, we'll circle back. But but there's a research strategy in there somewhere that that is really novel and interesting. Health is everything. Thank you for listening to Health is Everything. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to subscribe or share it with a friend or rate it on Apple Podcasts. You can visit us at exploringhealth.org and follow the Emory University Center for the Study of Human Health at CSHH or at Exploring Health, that's all one word, Exploring Health, on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Until next time, I'm Dr. Charles Raison, wishing you the best of health until we meet again. Health is everything. La salud lo es todo. Health is everything. Health is everything. La santé est tout. Health is everything.